welcome to Autism in the Adult podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Teresa Regan, an adult neuropsychologist. I specialize in brain behavior relationships for those 14 and older. I'm the parent of an amazing teen on the autism spectrum and a certified autism specialist. I am deeply grateful to bring validation, hope, and purpose to individuals and their families living on the autism spectrum. With this mission at its core, I founded and currently direct the OSF Healthcare Adult Diagnostic Autism Center in Central Illinois. My books include Understanding Autism in Adults and Aging Adults and Understanding Autistic Behaviors. For more information and to join my online community for free, visit www.adultandgeriatricautism.com. Please join me in helping individuals, couples, and families thrive while living life on the autism spectrum. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Teresa Regan. I'm your host for the podcast about autism in the adult. We're going to field a question that was sent in by a listener today. And this is someone from the West Coast who notices that when she um, interacts with her adult son on the spectrum, and there are multiple questions he's having to field, that he becomes agitated, upset, restless, or might shut down. And she just was asking for any input about this and also maybe some general recommendations. So this is a good topic for the podcast and for all those who may have similar questions or observations. One of the things that I really like about what she reported is that she's noticing the signs that he is in some distress, that he needs something. So one of the things that is really good is not to just wait for someone to verbalize what their emotions and their needs are, because a lot of times we start showing people what our needs are uh, through nonverbal communication, and that's what he's doing. So in this instance, his words are shut down, he's overwhelmed, and she's getting the sense that he's overwhelmed, but she's not quite sure why or what to do and how this might be impacted by his autism spectrum. Really, there are three states that we can watch for when we want to know if someone is overwhelmed. And the first is the fight reaction. So that has to do with this externalizing reaction of being overwhelmed. So it might be an argument, it might be a meltdown, a crying spell, an outburst, agitation, pacing, anything that's externalized. And this often is just this communication that we or uh, this individual, whoever it is, has gotten to the point where they're so overwhelmed, they've lost their speech, they've lost their uh, reasoning and problem-solving abilities in the brain, and they're really reacting more than processing what's happening. The next state to look for would be a flight reaction. This is the escape reaction, the hide reaction. So I'm overwhelmed, so I have this sense that I need to get out of the situation. I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to quit this conversation. I may even quit a job or a relationship because it's just so overwhelming to me 
that I need to have some control and to stop what's happening. And the third reaction might be a freeze reaction. So this is that type of reaction where the person's physically present, but we can see that they are not really psychologically present. So their mind shuts down, their emotions shut off. They may have staring spells or they might even look like they're having a seizure, but it's non-electrical. This person might lose memory for the conversation. Um, and some people even say they visibly can see this veil going over the person's face, that their eyes are shut down, they're, they're really not fully present. And again, that's a protective uh, method for them to really stay physically present, but we can see that they're not able to be psychologically present. So once we see these signs, we know that these are communication uh, bits. So this is not a word for what I'm feeling, but this is an expression that I'm not even able to process the questions with you anymore. This would be a good time to pause and not keep pursuing the questions and the conversation, but to pause and to figure out what just happened what is this person communicating? What do they need? And how could I restructure the questions or how could I do something a little bit differently to have a better outcome? One of the things we don't want to do is to really push into it. Um, sometimes there are people we know in a relationship and we just know that they can really push through some of these things and keep talking. But, um, you know, a lot of times once you get to the fight, freeze, and, and flight modes, the conversation's not going to be really productive. Um, and so a pause is appropriate. For people on the autism spectrum, by definition, they have a neurologic difficulty with social communication. So handling the incoming communication from another person, being physically present with them, having to decode all of the nonverbals involved, and having to put words into your own thoughts and needs, that's all going to be very demanding by definition because that's one of the defining characteristics of the diagnosis itself. I've seen really poor outcomes if people pursue these conversations regardless of the person's response. For example, I've seen uh, where one individual is having a fight mode reaction. Uh, this person is on the spectrum and a parent comes into their space and the adult child picks up whatever is near, whether that's a pencil or a hammer or a screwdriver, something in the kitchen, and the parent tries to wrench that out of their hand that's not what you want to do. You want to say, wow, this is communication. This person is uh, losing their rational thought. They're really breaking down. And I'm not going to pursue these questions into their space. Another way of pursuing would be if somebody has a flight reaction and they say, I can't talk about this right now. Or they leave to go to their room. They somehow hide under the covers while you're talking. Well, that's a flight reaction. And when that flight reaction occurs, 
some of us might have an automatic response of chasing this individual. And I'm using air quotes here, but it could even be a physical chase. But what we might want to do is say, no, you can't get out of this conversation. This is important. We need to have this conversation and then pursue, pursue, pursue. And the chase then can unfortunately lead to someone flipping into a fight mode. So for some people on the spectrum, if if they can't use their number one response, so maybe they typically use flight, um, and so they seem quieter and more withdrawn, but sometimes if they're not allowed to use that anymore and that's been taken away from them, for example, someone's chasing them psychologically or physically, they could flip into a fight mode. So the first thing you want to do is respect the fact that this conversation is um, not going well, that the individual on the spectrum is uh, their, their rational thought process and their ability to be fully present is really broken down. So let's ask why, first of all. And there are so many reasons that this could happen, but I'm going to go through five uh, typical reasons that this might occur. So, for example, let's say in number one that the person in the conversation that wants to keep talking to this ASD individual, perhaps they're asking questions that require theory of mind skill. And that's going to be neurologically difficult for the person on the spectrum. So let me give you an example of what theory of mind is. Theory of mind is a neurologic ability that starts to develop uh, when someone's about two years old, three years old, five years old, and it has to do with this inherent knowledge that what's in my mind is different than what's in your mind. Your preferences might be different than mine. Your um, base of information, what you know to be true, might be different than what I know to be true. Uh, our experiences, our opinions, all of these things might be different. We are different people. And we have this internal mind. And I start to be able to think, what is my mind? What are my preferences? Why do I think this way? And then I want to know what's in your mind. What are your preferences? Why do you believe what you believe? And also, how do you think that makes me feel? Again, I'm asking you not only to think about your mind and identify what's in it, but to consider what's in my mind. And for the ASD individual, that's neurologically really difficult to do. So if we are asking them to tell us, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling that? How do you think that makes me feel? We're really pushing this person to do something they may not be able to do. And once we push, 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 um, for someone to do something that they just can't do, then you'll get this uh, flight, fight, or freeze response. So the first reason might be we may be asking them to intuit their own internal world and to intuit ours in this discussion. Let's go to number two. So let's say we're asking somebody what their preference is about a certain topic or event or a decision that has to be made. So for individuals on the spectrum, they often have really strong interests and they may even be just all in or obsessed with this interest. So 
It may be music, it may be uh, building things, it could be space. Whatever it is, they're often all in with this topic. Well, let's say we're asking them for their preference about a totally different topic. Maybe it has to do with uh, who should we invite over for Christmas or what should we give this um, family for the baby's baptism. Well, if they say they don't have a preference and we keep asking them what their preference is, they may become pretty agitated because even though you know the speaker has a preference or feels like it's important, for the person on the spectrum, things outside of their fixed interests may be really empty. There really may be no preference there. And maybe they even just make something up, like, we'll do this. And perhaps we pursue that and say, well, did you really put thought into it? Why did you pick that one? I want you to really engage with me in planning this event. And again, for that person, if we're asking them to pick something out of their head that just doesn't exist, you know, what's your preference for this activity that you care nothing about, that also may trigger a reaction. Another thing that can feel overwhelming is to be asked to predict likely future outcomes and to make decisions in the now about something that feels very abstract and very difficult to consider. So let's just take one example, like what do you want to study in college? What kind of job do you want to have? Where do you want your life to go? Uh, these are really abstract things. We have to predict what, what we might want to be doing in the future. And therefore, based on that, what we might want to study, where we might want to go to school. Um, for the individual on the spectrum who perhaps has some interests but really struggles to think outside of the now and to predict something that has never happened before in that abstract way, in my experience with people on the spectrum, that's really very difficult. And they might say, how would I know what I'm going to want to do in five years? How would I know what will happen if I choose this medical procedure rather than another one. It's never happened before. So how could I possibly predict that? So sometimes if we're asking them about really abstract things in the future or, or trying to really maybe set a fire under them to get going with their life, you know, get, get a job, get a, get a school um, picked and let's get going. Sometimes that pressure to plan for something that feels abstract could also feel overwhelming and kind of trigger a response. A fourth reason could be the emotion in your voice. Um, for people on the spectrum, it's often intense to have social communication anyway. So to approach someone, to speak to someone about your preferences and your thoughts and opinions, and also to process the emotion of the other person. And for a subset of people on the spectrum, the emotion of the other person itself, having this emotion come at them is overwhelming and that alone can trigger the shutdown. So let's say someone's very excited and talking to them or they're very upset or they're crying. Well, that's a lot of emotion to process. 
And so the person might shut down or try to put distance between them and you because they really can't process all of your emotion. And one of the mistakes that we make is that when we see the person shut down and not responding, we can put more emotion in our voice and get more heated and more intense and say, no, you really have to process it. It's that important to me. And that actually can work against the situation. So in general, a really good part of advice would be that when you're speaking to someone in the spectrum and it's something important, try to be really calm. Try to just process things matter-of-factly, even when they're important, and know that the more emotion you put in, the harder it can be for that person to actually process the content of what you're saying. So take a step back, lower your voice, take some emotion out, be really calm, and don't add intensity to the the situation that might uh, make them shut down because it's really the content that you want them to process, not the emotion necessarily. And then the fifth instance I want to talk about is this sense that when we have a conversation with someone, information is coming at them at a certain rate. And everyone on the spectrum will have what's called executive function difficulty. So several of the diagnostic criteria really are part of executive function, and we won't go into all of that right now, but part of executive function is sequencing and speed. So to think about sequencing and speed, I want you to consider a conveyor belt coming at you with all this stuff you're supposed to, maybe we could imagine pack in boxes or do something with at a job. The, the conveyor belt image I love to think about is the I Love Lucy episode where she's putting chocolates into wrappers and she has this conveyor belt coming at her and she thinks, oh, this isn't so bad. This is going to be fine. And then the person in charge says, oh, great. Well, we'll speed it up to the actual speed that you have to do it. And all of these chocolates come out. And of course, with I Love Lucy, it's just a hysterical scene. But it's really true that if we're having a conversation with someone and we're speaking quickly with a lot of information, um, they can get overloaded. For the person on the spectrum who has executive function difficulty, they likely need things to come slower at at a more even pace. And the more we pummel sentence after sentence with important content or multiple choices or multiple outcomes, the more likely that they may have too much coming at them at one time and they may need to shut down, take a break, or they may have a meltdown. So what can we do about that? Well, one of the things I would suggest is to reduce any demands of the situation that aren't really important. So let's say you're in a crowded restaurant and you are really emotional about a topic and you are talking to your partner who's on the spectrum and so you start to get a little heated and emotional and you push into this conversation and look him in the eyes or look her in the eyes and uh, that's when things start to go wrong. Well, if you can step back and think, how could I take some of the demand off that's not really important? 
So let's analyze this. You're in a crowded restaurant. So you've already got noise and people and things that might be overwhelming to the person on the spectrum. So what if you just took that out? What if you had the conversation in a different type of setting, a quieter setting, um, one without a lot of unexpected noises and chaos, people bumping into you? And also, what if you took the emotion out? I know that you feel the emotion, but what if you took it down just for them because you know that the content is what you want to really share and hear about. That could be one way to decrease the demand. So you could take out some of the environmental demand, you could take out some of the emotion and tone it down and really get at the content as the premium piece of thing that you wanna share. You could reduce the number of choices you're giving this person. You know, maybe instead of saying, we'll do whatever you wanna do for this, just tell me what you wanna do. Um, that could actually be more stressful than just saying, do you think this choice or this choice would be better? Um, sometimes having just a concrete choice to make can feel better. You can decrease the amount of information that you give at one time. You can make sure that you're not insisting that they comment on something they really can't process. Maybe they actually don't have a preference and you wish they did, but they really don't. Or maybe you're asking them to internally analyze things that, and they just can't. It could be like asking someone who's colorblind to see all the colors that you see. Well, it's an understandable thing to wanna to share with someone, but if they can't do it, if they're colorblind, you can see that this insistence can just lead to tension in the relationship. Another thing that you can do that's very simple is to take away the face-to-face -face part of it too. And you don't necessarily have to do that for all of the conversation, but sometimes people on the spectrum process things better when they have it in an email or a text. And this way they don't have to process all of your nonverbals. They can look through the content at their own speed and they can feel really prepared. They don't wanna be on the spot sometimes. They can feel prepared to give an answer and they can type it back. And then maybe after you've processed this electronically, maybe then you might ask to have a face-to-face -face, uh, about the end result. So really step back and think, what am I asking this person to do? What's the environment and the context in which I'm asking? And what are their needs to have a little bit more groundedness in the conversation that would lead to a better outcome? I'm so glad that she asked this question because it's so key, this communication part, right? Whether you're the parent of someone on the spectrum, whether you're on the spectrum and you're wanting to talk to people at work about things or your partner, there's so many conversations that could go just a bit better if we think about these variables. Thank you for joining me, and we'll have a new topic next week.